Before beginning, I want to say, even though I don't think it should have to even be said at all, and yet here we are, what I want to start and end with is that I firmly believe civilians should be left out of these horrendous events. I am a firm believer in human rights for all humans, which should not be a controversial subject, and yet... I also speak of these events with the immense privilege of being white and being American, and I fully acknowledge that as an American, we don't experience war in the same way other countries do. I don't want to not acknowledge that privilege. I believe that hostages should be returned. I believe the events that are happening are no excuse to fuel Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, hatred of any kind. Much like Hamas does not stand for all Palestinians, I want to believe the Israeli government does not stand for all Israelis, just as I believe the U.S. government doesn't stand for me and other Americans. What should matter here are the lives lost, the children who have no school to return to, the families missing homes, and the families missing members of their own families. twice-monthly podcast delving into the current events surrounding migrants, refugees, and displaced peoples in the hopes of making news more tangible and change more attainable. Today I will be discussing what has been going on in Gaza and the recent start of South Africa's trial charging Israel with genocide to the ICJ, or the International Court of Justice, the UN's highest court. This all started because of retaliation on the part of Israel against Hamas due to their surprise attack on October 7th, 2023. Or alternatively, this all started in 1948 with the Nakba, where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were displaced from their homes. But of course, that depends on who you ask. This then begs the question, where is the line between retaliation and tragedy, massacre, or genocide? As of recording, this quote-unquote conflict has been going on for a hundred days, though some say longer given Palestine's consistent repression since 1948. It has been particularly difficult to not know what is taking place between Palestine and Israel, though as the days pass, it gets easier for people to forget about it, or at least not pay attention. Essentially, what this episode aims to do is give a summary of what is taking place in Gaza currently and give information about the start of South Africa's trial to the ICJ. To start with statistical information, as I often do, since October 8th, 2023, more than 23,000 people have been killed by Israeli attacks in Gaza. At least 70% of those 23,000 people are believed to be women and children. Nearly 60,000 people are wounded or maimed, and 93% of the population is facing crisis levels of hunger. According to the World Food Program, there are only 1.5 to 1.8 liters of clean water available per person per day. Keep in mind the survival threshold is 3 liters per day. For the fifth time since December 26, 2023, Israeli officials denied urgent UN deliveries of medical supplies, fuel, and water. While some argue that aid that is sent to Gaza is just taken by Hamas, is this really any justification to not even attempt to help victims in Gaza? Suppressing millions from accessing, oh my gosh, suppressing millions from accessing vital resources to destroy Hamas seems to simultaneously destroy the Palestinian people as a whole. Between January 1st and 10th of 2024, this year, only 14% of planned aid deliveries of food, water, and medicine got through to Gaza due to the Israeli military and government denying entrance. Additionally, Gaza has next to no healthcare system after hospitals have been destroyed. According to WHO, or the World Health Organization, 15 out of the 36 hospitals in Gaza are only partially functional. 
Dr. Seema Jalani, IRC Senior Technical Advisor for Emergency Health, stated, quote, In the first few hours at the hospital, I treated an approximately one-year-old boy who has lost his right arm and leg in the bombing on the floor as no stretchers were available, end quote. It is an immense violation and an immense human rights violation to bomb hospitals and destroy healthcare systems. While some believe that the violence the Israeli government is committing and the Israeli military is committing is the worst of the violence to take place, it is really believed that more Palestinians in Gaza will die from starvation and disease than the airstrikes. What the Israeli military is doing is preventing any possibility of Palestinians in Gaza surviving this mission to destroy Hamas. With over 60% of Gaza's housing damaged or destroyed and 85% of Gaza's 2.3 million people being internally displaced, the Israeli military's actions have lasting consequences. Even when this war is over, where will people return to? No one can go home. No one can go back to school. No one can go back to work. So what is left? There is even a new acronym coined when referring to children in Gaza, WCNSF, Wounded Child, No Surviving Family. While the Israeli government states that they are only doing this to defend their people from Hamas, is this damage, is eliminating resources the only way to defend their people? While the Israeli military does warn Palestinians to evacuate, where do they go once Israel keeps pushing them further and further south, bombing them all the way down? Not only that, but what of the disabled community? Oftentimes I find people who have immense privilege can say, well, they've been warned, they should just pack up and go. But what would you do if your mom is in a wheelchair or you have a grandparent who can't walk long distances or young children or babies? How do you pick up everything and just go with them? It's neglecting a huge amount of the population and only talking about those who are the most privileged who can just go. And even then, like I said, once this war is over, where do they return to? So much of Gaza is absolutely destroyed. Homes, schools, hospitals, the entire foundation of Gaza is essentially getting destroyed every single day. So when this is over, where do they go? Where do they go back to? To address some of the counterpoints that Israel's lawyer is presenting to the ICJ, um, because I think it is important to take into consideration what South Africa is coming to the table with, which is all these statistics, and also the genocidal language that some uh, Israeli military and government officials have been using to refer to Palestinians, such as referring to them as uh, children of darkness, and that children in Israel are children of light. And so it's a battle between children of light and children of darkness. Um, I think it's important to also kind of debunk some of the big counterpoints that are going around. Um, so one of the points that was made was that South Africa is not a part of the conflict, so the case should be dismissed. However, Palestine cannot submit a case for itself to the ICJ as Western countries have blocked this by refusing Palestinian statehood. So Palestine could not submit a case for itself. Um, another country representing Palestine is the only way Palestine can be represented to the ICJ. So even though South Africa is not a part of the conflict, Palestine has no opportunity to represent themselves. Another point being made is that Hamas is hiding in civilian infrastructure and has tunnels everywhere. This is a point that I see all the time. However, civilians should never be a target regardless. And you'd think that if your goal was to not destroy all Palestinians, you would have been able to come up with a different way of doing this. But once again, I speak from the immense privilege of 
being a white American who does not experience war like this. But additionally, according to at Hidden Palestine on Instagram, quote, by this logic, Israel can wipe out all of Gaza and make the same justification. Israel argues that dropping 2,000 pound bombs on a refugee camp that kills hundreds of civilians for one Hamas member is justified, end quote. So this begs the question, how does someone find this justifiable? While yes, technically the Israeli military succeeded, they got that Hamas member, uh, what then do you make of the hundreds of refugees that were killed in that camp? How do you hold those two things together? The last point from Israel's lawyer that I want to mention is that they state that they are not trying to destroy the Palestinian people, though they are sure succeeding at that. Uh, They are simply trying to destroy Hamas. However, referring back to at Hidden Palestine, because I think that they just summarize the flaw in this logic so well, they state, quote, this argument was null and void the moment Israel decided to cut water, food, and electricity from Gaza on the first day of its attacks. These actions in no way help Israel defeat Hamas. They are genocidal acts against an entire population. Add to that the fact that Israel has bombed civilians in areas it ordered them to evacuate to, bombed nearly every hospital, and murdered nearly 10,000 children. End quote. While people are mentioning bombings of hospitals, schools, homes, etc., they are also bombing many historical sites which are pretty key to Palestinian identity. They're bombing um, famous historical sites that are very important to Muslims and Christians. And so it's also, it comes across as an attack on identity, not even just to defeat Hamas. It's literally attacking these people in every way, shape or form. Homes, hospitals, schools, refugee camps, and historical sites. I want to return to the argument people make that the Israeli military warns Palestinians to evacuate or that the Israeli government sends food and supplies and just state my opinion that no country should ever have that power over another. While the Israeli government sending supplies may be seen as a good deed, the fact that they have the ability to cut off and control the resources of another country should not be the case. It is not a good deed. That is a colonial mindset. While yes, on paper, it seems like, oh, they're sending supplies over like they do care that's, you know, that's their good deed. It it shows they don't want to destroy all Palestinians. In reality, that really is just reinforcing a colonizer mindset that there is this larger, more powerful country that is like taking care of the smaller one and like being the thing to help its survival. It's not a good deed. No country should ever have the ability to cut off and control resources of another. I want to end this with Rafat Alarir's 2011 poem that he shared shortly before he was killed by an Israeli airstrike in December of 2023, titled If I Must Die. If I must die, you must live to tell my story, to sell my things, to buy a piece of cloth and some strings, make it white with a long tail, so that a child somewhere in Gaza, while looking heaven in the eye, awaiting his dad who left in a blaze and bid no one farewell, not even to his flesh, not even to himself. Seize the kite, my kite you made, flying up above, and thinks for a moment an angel is there, bringing back love. If I must die, let it bring hope. Let it be a story. I think that this is an incredible poem, and I think it's, I think it sums up exactly the sentiments that are going on, and I don't think that it should be ignored that this poem was written in 2011, and yet is con- and I want to say rest in peace, Rafat Alarir.
and Allah Yarhamu. Additionally, Palestinian-American poet George Abraham stated, Poetry can't stop a bullet. Poetry won't free a prisoner. And that's why we need to do the political organizing work as well. But if we can't imagine a free, liberated world in language, how can we build one? So what can we do, especially if you're like me and come from the privilege of living in a country that does not feel direct effects of war? What can we do? What are tangible actions we can do? Number one, don't stop talking about it. Even when it becomes unpopular or people think it's dated or some new trend is starting, don't stop talking about Palestinians. There is a lot of tragedy happening. There's a lot of tragedy happening in the world. And I think that we can I think we can talk about all of it. I don't think Palestinians should be put on the back burner. Number two, do your due diligence in researching organizations, especially if you plan on donating money, because not all organizations really help in the way you may think. That money may not be going to what you think it is going to. And the last one, call your representatives and demand a ceasefire. Protest. Stay informed on events near you. There are tons of events going on for pro-Palestinian marches. I just saw one that was happening in D.C. that it was like, take your dog on a walk to demand a ceasefire. So like there's a bunch of stuff. Um, if you want to email your representatives, you can go to moveon.org. If you want to call and find your representative that way, you can go to act.uscpr.org. And lastly, I want to highlight some social media accounts to follow to stay informed because some of these are people who are living in Gaza right now. Motaz Azaiza, Intersectional Environmentalist, Hidden Palestine, Rescue.org, So Informed, Impact, and Wizard Bisan. And those ats for their Instagram account and all that will be in the description of this episode. What we're witnessing is nothing short of a tragedy unfolding in real time. Gaza is currently the deadliest place for civilians in the world. Regardless of what the ICJ's court ruling is, while it is legally binding, it is not enforceable. When I was younger and learning history in school, we learned that we must talk about difficult things in order to prevent history from repeating itself. And frankly, I find it shameful that we are still letting it happen. While it may feel like we can't do anything or what we do is so small it might as well feel irrelevant, it is still important to take action. We are witnessing human rights violations every day, every hour, in real time. Don't be a bystander. Hey.